Welcome to another episode of Tandem Coaching Academies, Keeping Agile Non-Denominational Podcast. We are your hosts, Shuri Silas and I, Alex Kudnov, and today our guest is Alexis Shamel. Alexis, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, that would be a pleasure. And actually, look, as I do that here in our Zoom world, you guys can tell me about my lighting. What do you it's think? perfect. Is it changing? Is it getting worse or better? Can you tell? Everybody has a ring light now, don't we? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to put that on before we started. Uh, it's so fun to be here. Shri and I have uh, recently made each other's acquaintance and now find ourselves in a variety of rooms together. And uh, I, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be in this space with both of you. My background actually is as a performer and I moved into working in arts and education and directing and producing and running education programs for major regional theaters here in Los Angeles. And that got me working with adults who tend to sabotage themselves when they're in presentation situations and they identify as more introverted or cautious or uh, in some way, you know, there's that Seinfeld joke about uh, at the funeral, you'd rather be the one in the coffin than giving the eulogy. So there are plenty of people who have enough of a fear of public speaking and presenting that um, a lot of the tools and skills that I was working on in arts education for young people, I ended up pivoting and doing that with adults. And it was really profound, giving people tools to help them communicate better and to feel more confident being public with their presence. And that kind of got me into coaching more in a presentation context. But as I was doing that, I realized um, that I felt like there was more to it and more to learn. And often it wasn't just that people were uncomfortable getting up in front of a group, but there was something else that was going on. They felt like they weren't saying something that was worth being heard or someone else could have said it better or any fill in the blank. And so I decided that I wanted to go and get my coaching credential because that seemed like the yin to the yang, understanding what was going on for people beyond the presentation. So if that's what they were doing and who they were being when they were showing up for it. So I certified as a coach and I started my practice, uh, A of All Arts in 2007. And I have worked as both a personal and professional coach. And that is for executive coaching, as well as team coaching, as well as presentation coaching. And that's where we are now. Fantastic. And I'm not going to let go of that piece when you are talking about somebody would rather rest in the coffin than giving eulogy. Yeah. How, as a coach, do they... Do you tell them to get out of that damn coffin and give them <laughs> eulogy? That's awesome. Well, again, it's so much of it is about, I mean, some of it is the concrete skills, right? And this is, there's this fine line often between coaching and consulting. And so when I was initially starting, it was very much consulting, which was sort of like, I would start working with someone who found me through a theater and they had an executive that was coming up with an important keynote that they needed some guidance on. And so I would go in and it had everything to do with breathing from your diaphragm and imagining that you're speaking to someone that you care deeply about, or in other instances, imagining something else. And then 
frequently featuring the Y, capital W-H-Y, prominently, which allows you to get outside of yourself and more into like the point of the whole thing, right? So that's a lot of how you do it. It also though is a lot of consulting. It's a lot of saying, well, think about this or try this. And a skill set that I had as a performer that I kind of pivoted into, you know, consulting. Um, and the coaching part of it then came in when it was like, well, what if it's not just that they don't know how to use their diaphragm, but what if it's that they're either holding on to some belief or having some sort of friction or stuckness around why it is that they think this particular part of their growth or development is so challenging. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I don't know if that answers the question, but most people <laughs> when pressed were able to do it and not only do it rise from the coffin to give the speech, but not only do it, but really find joy in it because they realize how of service they can be. And when you have a platform that allows you to show up in that way and speak to something that's larger than you, you're like, oh, I get it. I get it now. Okay, everything out of my way, including me, and let me do what I have to do. I have a reason and I'm ready to speak. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So, so it sounds like coaching skills have complemented your already kind of skill set that you brought to the table. Uh, and what were you able to do with coaching skills that were not, that was not available to you as just a consultant? Oh, that's great. You know, what popped into my head, right? As you said, that is there's this learning curve. I think for me, there was in <laughs> when you're starting as a consultant, it's like, let me demonstrate how many skills I have. Let me demonstrate how valuable I am. And this is what I must do. And then as you get more and more comfortable, you're able to be like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. So the thing that coaching does is it's that it sort of demands you show up without knowing. And that's very different than consulting. So I think there's flip sides that allow you to be of service in different ways to a client who's looking for both, but I actually found initially tension in being like, but I, I know the answer. I know, I know what they need to think, say, do, whatever. And then in coaching being like, what if I don't? What if I have no idea what's gonna get them there? Re what if I really don't know? And it was amazing because that's when you have those moments where you realize that they're gonna come up with it on their own when they're prompted with the right space or the right question or psychological safety or any of these things that we learn about as coaches. So I have this practice and initially, sometimes it's literal and sometimes it's figurative where I'll put on different hats because I'm also an entrepreneur. I started my business. And so sometimes it's the CEO hat and sometimes it's the facilitator hat and sometimes it's the coach hat and sometimes it's the consultant hat. And when I'm working with a client, I'm very transparent about which one I have on, you know, <laughs> so the coaching and consulting is the most frequent one that I'm working with a client, but that's partly why coaching complemented the consulting. And now they're sort of intermingled in a way that I would have a hard time separating. Yeah. Well, Alexis, how do you know when to take off one hat and put on another hat? I mean, part of it I think is intuition and, and practice. I mean, also I might be wrong. I'm really good with being fine being wrong. 
And so that's another thing where it's, you know, I, I will frequently caveat to whoever it is that I'm speaking with, I could be totally off base, but here's what's coming up for me, or I'm feeling compelled to put on my consultant hat. Does that feel right to you or no? And my clients will say, yes, please. Or they'll be like, no, not yet. I'm not, I need to keep going. So we're in the kind of rapport that everything is just sort of sitting right there to be used as an opportunity. And I think, I don't know, I have, an, I have a guess and I might be right and I might be wrong and we're sort of doing that dance together. You know, what's really skillful about that from the coaching perspective is partnering with the client, giving right. them the option. Hey, here's what's going on. Mm -hmm. Here's what I think. Um, where do we need to go with this? And so mm -hmm. that shows a lot of really great partnership. And so I'm wondering, you're talking a bit about the impact to you that coaching has brought into your practice. And I'm wondering about the impact to your clients. How has this changed, um, you know, what's going on for them, what value they're seeing in, in the work you do with them? That's a great question. Well, so what came to mind just as you were, uh, just as you were asking that is I have a client who, um, uh, I'm going to keep her appropriately anonymous, but she's someone who identified as deeply and wildly introverted, um, but also was really good at what she did. And people were constantly like, you should teach this to other people. It's such a great skill and they need to know how to do it. And so I got brought in, it was a referral and I started working with her and there was so much fear in her that was from so many things. I mean, it, it was historically, she had had some disappointments and she had also had some chances that she didn't take. And she had finally landed herself literally in a job where she didn't have to talk to anybody. She could just do her thing, but she was so good at it that everybody was like, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And the part where I gave her a physical warm up and I talked about projection and pausing and versatility with her breath and her voice. And we drafted scripts together. All of that was straight up consulting. But the part that was unpacking why she got so anxious at the prospect or, you know, uh, that she would second guess herself, didn't trust memorization, didn't trust that it would land, didn't trust that anybody would, all the stuff was all coaching. And so we would decide ahead of time, which kind of session are we heading into today? What are you up for? And I'm not making this up. She now is on national circuits lecturing about this thing that she does. And it's largely because when she was able to tackle these pieces that had to do with the habituated fear and instead say, well, what might be possible if we focus over here or who's missing out because you're not sharing your knowledge or these kinds of other ways of potentially looking at things. And those are right. The coaching questions, which may just be like, what else? Or they may be like a little bit more pointed. That's all me not knowing and sort of just thought partnering with her in the space to see where we go. But over here it was like, and breathe and stretch and make sure that when you put your face this way, your body is this way so that you're actually including everyone, right? Those are things that are consulting 
and that complement the coaching and the coaching does the same with the present the presentation work. Does it, did that answer? I don't know if I got to. Yeah, it did. And obviously a lot of really great client impact. And I mean, you know, one would hope all my businesses referral and my dance cards full right now. So I'm going to say it works. <laughs> but, you know, uh, it's, it seems to be, it, it seems to be a chemistry that, uh, that's balanced for right now. Yeah. And, and so when you're working with corporations mm -hmm. and I guess trying to help them understand why they should bring coaching into their organizations mm -hmm. and what the value is, how does that, how does that look from a dollars and cents perspective? Yeah. Great impact. And how much is it going to cost me and why should I spend it? Yeah, exactly. And there are some people, well, let me, let me start by saying this. I'm, I'm pretty assertive with who is my client and who's not my client. And what I mean by that is if you're bringing me in to coach someone out, I'm not your, I'm not your person because like you should be doing that on your own. Have the, have the courage to have the conversation you need to have. Don't bring me in to, to be your buffer. And I understand that business is business and corporations are corporations. And so frequently I'm more consistently partnered with organizations who believe in coaching as part of their culture or who believe genuinely with their dollars in professional development and who have ways that their people are able to say what it is that that means to them. And so I'm not fighting the battle of selling the virtue of coaching at the outset, because if I'm there with them, then we already may or may not be a good match, if that makes sense. So it's more like if you have a culture that is genuinely invested in your people, if you have like a chief people officer, if you have people who are able to identify annually what it is that they want to do for their professional development, if you have L&D programs, if you have senior leadership who believe in the virtue of it, then I'm in. I don't want to spend my, my time selling people on the virtue of it because there's too much sort of catching up you have to do and too much micromanaging that's being done. And so what I try to do instead is be transparent with my process from soup to nuts and say, here's how I work. Here's what you're gonna be privy to. Here's what you're not. Here are the pieces that are non-negotiable. Here are the pieces that have wiggle room. And I ask a lot of questions. What do you need? What does success look like? What else has been offered to this individual? And sometimes it's individuals, sometimes it's teams. And inevitably I will end up working in multiple ways with a single individual or within an organization based on what's yielded by that conversation. So what I say to them is, what are you after? And if what they're after is something that I'm confident I can be a part of supporting, then we're a good partnership. So it sounds like you know your client and you choose your clients very carefully. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you have one or two of those silver bullet questions that you go, then you ask, and you know that's your client, or you know, nope, not gonna take you. That's a great question. These are great questions. Um, 
so there's two. The first is, are they okay with confidentiality in the process? And the second is, um, will they allow me a consultation with the client before we engage? So I always have um, a chemistry check with the client that I am being brought in to work with. And that's part of my deal. The other part of my deal is, um, what did I say that first piece? Now I'm blanking on it. The confidentiality? Yeah, 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 thanks. Look, see, I was doing it. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, the confidentiality. They have to be comfortable with the confidentiality once we're in it. And so what we do is if we contract, my question, by the way, that I will always ask the client or I will ask of myself in the presence of the client, does this person want to be coached? Number one. Number two, is this person, is this person capable of being coached? Because sometimes they don't want it, but I can feel that when we're in rapport in a session, they'll get there. But sometimes I can feel that they don't want it and they're not going to get there. And I won't, I won't take that. I won't take that client on. It's just, it's a waste of time and the, you know, sponsor's money. So what we do, if let's say it's a go, we all decide we're good to go. We initially triangulate and we, I've been having a number of conversations with colleagues currently about this, but whoever it is that's bringing me in, a supervisor, an HR rep, whatever it is, and a client, the client, and myself will have some sort of a triangulation. That's ideal. It doesn't always happen, but what I make sure of is what I say to whoever is bringing me in is, okay, you're gonna have that conversation with the client, right? This information is okay for me to share with the client, right? So that as we're level setting, as we're getting going, we all have the same information. And this is with respect to HR and supervision and leadership. I understand that there are things they need to keep confidential as well. So that's fine. And it's gonna swing the same when I'm in session with a client. And so what we do is we map out what are our deliverables or what are our, I call it the client's desired results. And in that first session, we map out what it is that if we're successful, the client will have moved to or moved on. So it may be that they say more strategic management or more customized management of my team members, more tools to handle challenging conversations. And these line items will go into the contract and whoever hires me, whoever brings me in at the corporation gets that contract that the client and I have mapped out. And the client has final approval. Yes, I'm ready. And they're the ones that send it to HR, their leader or whatever. And from that point, it also in there says we're meeting weekly or we're meeting monthly or the, like it's got all the terms and all the business in there. So we're all on the same page. And from that point, whoever brought me in understands now whatever it is that we're doing is between the two of us. I will say that I have a couple of people that I work with who are new to coaching as leaders. And they're like, I don't quite get how this works. And so I will build in check-ins with them just to keep them posted on the progress. And it's different. I'm not sharing confidential information, but I am letting them know kind of where we are as, as the, as the uh, engagement proceeds. 
So this is really fascinating conversation about those classic kind of three parties contracts, right? Mm. And we talk a lot about them in our classes and people usually ask a lot of questions how that works and how the goals work. And if employer pays for their employee, what do they get out of that? How, like how the information flows and all that. Uh, I wanted to kind of focus a little bit on something you said um, that you work not only with individuals, mm. but also with teams. Mm -hmm. What kind of complications arise there in terms of kind of your contracting? So, okay, let me be, let me, let me define what I mean by working with teams, just because this is an audience of coaches and that will mean different things to different people. Um, I am not necessarily a team coach as much as I work with individuals on a team. And so what that means is, let's say you're the senior executive in charge of blah, blah, blah. And I'm working with you as a client and you go, I want you to work with my team. And so what happens is then the, their direct report. So what it'll look like is I have this one senior leader that I'm working with, coaching with, and then this is real. She has five people who are her leadership team and she wants me to work with all of them as well. And so I'm not, I'm working with them all together in the sense that um, we will be doing, we haven't started this yet. I've done this model before, but we do um, every other month, we do workshops where we come together and have a particular theme that we're focusing on. And a purpose of that is just to bring everybody together out of the maelstrom of the regular workday and say, let's keep connected. But then individually, this is a team that has been newly assembled. And so part of what we're doing is thematically exploring some things that are just gonna happen as part of change management. And then also each of them is gonna have their own individual friction points with it. And so she is looking at customized resourcing for them and knows I'm confidential. So I'm not sharing information from one to the other but I may have a broader sense of the ecosystem so that when I know that something is happening over here and I know that something is happening over here, I can then raise the question to everybody, would it be useful for us to have a workshop on blank? And I know that three of them are having friction with it. So most likely they're gonna say yes. And whether it's like scheduling or the meeting culture or whatever it is, we're then able to come together to tackle a thing. And it's almost like we're doing a 360, an ecosystem 360 at the same time that we're doing individual coaching. So that's what I mean when I say I'm coaching a team. I can imagine that you must sometimes run into issues of either conflict of interest or other um, kind of borderline ethical things that mm -hmm. arise. Mm -hmm. So what's your story on those and how do you handle it? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So there's, there's a couple things. The first is yes. And I think ethics are huge in coaching. I mean, they're huge period, but they're especially huge in this world where we're dealing with people and their peopleness all the time. <laughs> you know? I, I um, love that. People <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you could do one thing that somebody does. Okay. I, I like, I'll give you an example. I, I had a client who had a situation where there was a lot of friction with a colleague and her impulse was, I want to make it better. So she reached out. The colleague said, 
don't, don't reach out. I don't want to hear from you again. And she reached out again. Cause she was like, no, no, you don't understand. I da, da, da. And the other person was like, if you reach out again, and it was sort of like threatening her with, and my client was like, I'm just trying to make it better. And I had to stop and be like, no, here's the ethics about that. If someone tells you, don't get in touch with me, don't get in touch with them. And then I was like, is that right? <laughs> is that right? And so like my, I was clear on the ethics in her situation, but then I was like, I should be clear if there's a like ethics perspective on this ethics question. And so that was actually, I went, I, I was training in supervision and I went to a supervisor who specializes in ethics. And she was like hundred percent, you honor the very clear statement that the person has made and you stop contacting them. Like you may want to reconcile it, but you don't get to choose that if someone else is like, stay out of my space. So I was like, okay, but the thing that you start to notice is how many things can become ethical questions. I had another situation. This was, I was, this was a bona fide like team. This, this was a hard, awesome situation that I was, I was working with a team for about nine months um, and it was super high stakes. And I was brought in by not a member of the team, um, but something came up with one of the team members and I made a decision based on my interaction with that individual. But then I got in big trouble because it wasn't perceived to be the right decision from outside. And what I became aware of, and this was again in conversation and supervision, the HR or leadership or the culture of the company has their own code of ethics and coaching has theirs and I may have mine and you may have yours. And so all of the stuff has to be clear before we head in. So one of the recommendations that was given to me um, was whenever you're going into a corporation, you always wanna get their handbook, their employee handbook, which gives you the clear guidelines for what is and is not considered ethical behavior and know that before you head into an engagement with that company. And then also the work that we're doing on a regular basis to say, is there a concern around this that's ethical or is it a point of view concern? Um, and to your point also, Shri, about conflict of interest, if it starts to cusp on that, then I name it. And I essentially say, you know, I'm speaking with the person that you're talking about and we should come to an agreement about how we wanna proceed from this point. Cause I'm never gonna say anything to them, but having this information about them may or may not affect the way you and I move forward or the way, you know, he, she, and I move forward or whatever. And so I'll ask, is this paramount? Is what you're telling me now paramount to something that's happening for you? Or is it a venting that might be just as well given to a friend or a colleague? And so we sort of check in as soon as it starts to be like, uh, you know, you get that, you get that feeling that's like, uh, <laughs> and as soon as that starts to happen, I'm like, you got to address that stuff like right when it comes up. Yeah, you kind of feel that getting squished in the middle thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's that. It's just that little, or like the hand on the chalkboard, like in your brain, you're like. Uh, yeah. So just some clarity for our listeners. When yeah. you said 
you know I'm talking to this person, what you were referring to is in this group where they already all know that you're working with all five of them. Exactly. By the way, I'm coaching them too. Exactly. And I want to be clear because I will work in, I'll work with companies and I have, I'm working with a company now that I have, I probably have, I don't know, a dozen coaching clients. They don't know about each other because they're in different aspects of the business. But if a leader of a particular team wants me to work with the people on her team, then part of my agreement to do that is, okay, you need to let them know who else I'm working with on the team, but not necessarily across the business. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. You're saying a lot of things here that it's like, huh, interesting. I never thought about that, like the handbook. Mm. So you brought up supervision a couple of times mm-hmm. and, um, to be quite honest, a lot of our listeners are in the Americas and in the Americas, not such a known thing. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the value of supervision and how that is actually impacting your, your coaching practice? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I will say supervision approached me maybe three different times. And I was like, oh, that sounds like I totally don't get what it is. Like I had, I definitely had about like, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, really like, and then somebody tried to explain it to me and they said, you know, it's basically like for any friction that comes up when you're in a coaching session or something that you want to examine about your own way of working. And I was like, cool. I don't have that. Cause if something comes up, I just tell my client or I already have another coach that I talked to. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it. And then I actually reached out to Damien Goldberg, which I, I certified um, as a coach with him at the center for nonprofit management here in Los Angeles. And I said to him, you know, it's been whatever, seven years, eight years, and I'm ready. I'm ready for something else. So I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And he said, oh, you should join my supervision cohort. And I was like, okay, (sighs) Damien, I'm gonna be honest. I was like, I don't get it. I don't get supervision. And he was like, okay, so come to my special interest group. I have this SIG with ICFLA, International Coach Federation, Los Angeles, and see what you think. And I was like, oh, this is good. So I have like 45 minutes to sit and actually be a part of a group supervision thing. And it was delightful. It was delightful first, because I was with a group of coaches. It was delightful second, because I sort of understood a little better what was meant by working on a thing that's coming up for you. And really, I think it's a level of sophistication that's added to our practice. It's professionalizing the profession in the sense that I had my most recent supervision session, which was a couple days ago, with Joe for Tanya. Um, I had a supervision session with her and we were talking about a client of mine. When I contract, I will frequently include as a line item 24 seven access, especially when I work with clients who have jobs where things are coming up all the time. So few of them take me up on it. So few of them take me up on reaching out multiple times in between because everybody's really busy, but I am available should they want to. And I have one client who is currently reaching out to me constantly, constantly. And I feel like I totally wanna be there for her, but then I also feel like, but am I then keeping her from finding it herself? Am I being maternal? Am I being, you know, all the things. 
and I brought this to supervision. And where I arrived and where Joe held space for me to get was we were talking about like the arc of mastery and that in the, in the space where someone's learning something, that's where they feel the most crap about it. And so that's also the place where it's the messiest and where someone who's willing to be vulnerable is reaching out. And then as they start to sort of create new habits or new ways of working, they don't need as much support because now they've got it ingrained, right? And this is that whole arc of, of unconscious um, incompetence moving to unconscious competence. And so what came up for me in the midst of this is I'm not, it's not going to be 24 seven forever. It's 24 seven while she's at this part of her learning curve. And like the simple fact of coming up with that clarity of what was going on for me interacting with this question that I could have just stopped at boundaries, but that's not what it was about. It wasn't about that. It was about something that was much bigger and supervision gave me the space in collaboration with another, you know, another practiced coach to arrive at a thing I would not have arrived at on my own. And those things come up all the time. Those little things that are real life and in the moment come up all the time. So supervision is really a great space to reflect on them and to just sort of have a moment to be peaceful in consideration. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. So we've peppered you with a lot of questions today. That's so fun. And I want to hear what you haven't said that we haven't asked, but you think it's good for people to know. Interesting. Well, I will say, and this is maybe because supervision was the last question. One of the things that was a real aha for me in terms of the supervision work is the background. So we always talk about what else is going on systemically, like what else is in the ecosystem. And I feel like you said most of your listeners are in the Americas. I feel like right now, especially, we have had, we, there's so much in the background at any given moment. And whether it's COVID or systemic racism or the politics or the environment and the wildfires, like, t I mean, take your pick of the things. This background informs everything that we do, if not directly, indirectly. And sometimes it's just sort of fuzzy and hanging out. And sometimes things come into really strong relief. And so one of the things that I think is super key to remember right now as coaches and in our practice is that that's not something that goes away or that you sort of set aside to do your work as much as that's something that you acknowledge the presence of in the midst of your work. And so instead of being like, Ooh, you get out the door, stay there. It's like, what would it look like if you could hold that reality at the same time that you make a choice to focus on something else for this moment? And I think that that idea of being intentional is a really useful tactic to take into sessions and into our own practice when we're looking at our own wellness and our own way of serving. Yeah, that, that's it. I'll say that. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. So that's fascinating. I also want to make a little connection with uh, supervision. And uh, what I understand you're talking about is that level three listening, right? 
level okay. two when we listen to the client what's said what's not said and all that so it's already kind of went out in our heads but level three it's like this bubble of the world and the environment and all the noises and all the smells and all the politics and all the fires and all that and how that affects the whole ecology of this space the whole this bubble of client and coach mm -hmm. so um how can supervision in your mind can help a coach to get from that level two where people usually are comfortable like if you are acc pcc you're probably comfortable there right mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people are struggling with getting to that level three. What's, what, what kind of help can supervision provide with that? Hmm. Well, okay, so what you're saying brings up for me something that is in process right now with a colleague of mine and myself. Uh, I'm working with Sarah Evans who is a professor and a practitioner, and she and I are writing a chapter for America's Coach Supervision Network is coming out with their first book. And we're writing a chapter on resilience. We're both super interested in resilience. And we've created a framework that we're putting into this chapter around um, reciprocal resilience resourcing. And what we talk about is supervision as a space where we can reciprocate resilience. So it's essentially, if you imagine this, like it could be the eye of a storm. It could be a little eddy in what might otherwise be a raging river, but it's this space of calm where you're able to be with one another, either bringing a case or bringing a theme or something to explore in a quiet reflective moment. And to say, what do, what do I wanna do with this? Or what do I want to consider about this? And in doing that in partnership, the goal of supervision is you take something away and I take something away. Whichever one of us brings the case or the situation to examine, we all are meant to leave when it goes well, better resourced. And in our mind, that means more resilient. And so for me and for Sarah, what we're examining is how do we really hone in on the process to create a supervision space that is resilient and then to breed resilience for one another in it. Are you a Harry Potter fan? <laughs> I, 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 yes, in the sense that I love storytelling and she does a fantastic job of storytelling. I have to say like my sister's a Harry Potter fan, which meant she went to Universal in costume and like, like I'm not that kind of Harry Potter fan, but I'm- but you, saw, you saw the movies. Oh yeah, of course, of course. You know, you know what it reminds me, especially when you said it's the river, you remember like the last movie when there's a battle and when Harry Potter goes to the, to the forest, and, and he is getting killed mm. and then there's a scene in this pristine white station mm. and he's talking to Dumbledore mm. it's like out of space yeah. out of time mm -hmm. take your breath mm -hmm. and then just go back into the battle mm -hmm. interesting 
All right. So, uh, Alexis, you mentioned the book. You mentioned what you're kind of working on in partnership. What else is going on in the world? All right. So, what's up for me right now is a big focus on working on this chapter for uh, America's Supervision Coaching Network and or America's Coaching Supervision Network. And I'm doing a lot of um, joining that community right now. So I met a lot of meetings with colleagues and conferences around supervision. I'm working as a supervisor toward my credential with the EMCC and working on the chapter and continuing to do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching, continuing to do the teamwork, team coaching. Um, and I think a lot of the shift with COVID, a lot of the shift with working from home has meant that I've had to iterate a bit on facilitation because I also do, I do a lot of workshops and events and team builds and things like that. And so doing that, you know, four or five hours running programs in the virtual space, there's quite a few of those. And I also train people to do their own. So that's a lot of what's been going on lately. Mm -hmm. And uh, if our listeners desire to do so, how can they contact you? Yeah, through my website. It's A of O F all A L L arts A R T S dot com. And there, I believe, is a link there for my scheduler. And I do consultation sessions if anyone would be interested in either having me in an organization or doing one on one work. That would be the way to find me. Fantastic. Well, uh, thanks, Alexis, so much for spending your time together with us today. Uh, it was really great, really great to hear all these perspectives and uh, really fresh thoughts. So it was Tendon Coaching Academy Keeping Agile Non-Denominational Podcast. And we were your hosts, Sheree Silas and I, Alex Goodenough. Bye now.